0: With that down, let's get into main topic number one. Rob, what
1: is our first main topic today? Well, this comes from Terry Hughes. Hi, John. I know you know you don't normally talk about game shows, but I wanted to know if you've been following all the drama surrounding Jeopardy the last few weeks. I read today that the producer of the show, who was also supposed to be Alex Trebek's replacement as host of the show, was just fired. What is your take on the whole situation john i've actually been following this so alex trebek uh, sadly passed away good canadian kid by the way the good canadian kid they talked to a number they had a number of different people they were trying out as guest hosts but mike richards people are like who what mike richards who was also the executive producer of jeopardy he has a long history in uh game shows he worked as an executive producer wheel of fortune the price is right and let's make a deal he was the he is well he was the executive uh, executive producer of Jeopardy. and He was going to be the new host, but dun 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 tweets that he had made uh, of very disparaging natures against various people were unearthed, and he immediately stepped down as the host. And uh, he was actually then fired, subsequently fired as the. By the way, it's not Mike Richards from. Uh, Seinfeld.
0: Yeah, my different Michael, Michael Richards. Richards. Yeah, different, different Michael Richards.
1: Richards. So he was just fired as the executive producer. So he's gone. Uh, Richards. This comes from Variety. Richards gave up the job as host after ugly statements that he'd made on an eight-year-old podcast series resurfaced, and that followed concerns over the host selection process with whispers that Richards, as host, was able to calibrate the search to replace Trebek in his favor. It also came following the unearthing of discrimination lawsuits that multiple models working on The Price is Right, which he had produced at the time, filed in 2010 and 2011. Uh, you know, John, uh, this is not unexpected in our day and age, but lawsuits against uh, that multiple models made against him, uh, to me... I don't like it when people abuse their positions of power in the entertainment industry, because it reflects badly on all of us. And I've always been a proponent that there was a day of reckoning coming. And it's nice to see that that day is here. I feel that this is the right move. Uh, Unfortunately for Mr. Richards, it was an $18 million gig that he lost as the host. And who knows how much he would have made executive producing uh, one of the most lucrative and fun game shows in the history of game shows. And I, on one hand, I feel bad that that happens to him. I hate it when people's careers, basically his career is over. And what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You have to reinvent yourself. But I think it was the right move. What do you think?
0: Well, here, this is this is an interesting one, but I'll t- I'll tell you right now, him losing this job, has nothing to do with the old lawsuits and has nothing to do with the the comments he made on an old podcast. Because Look, I I went back and read into this because I normally don't care about this TMZ garbage, but now this is directly impacting the shows and entertainment that are going to be on for people to watch and see. So we'll address it when it comes to that. But I looked into it and it's like, okay, so he has this podcast that he used to have like from eight years ago. And he said some stupid things on it. Like he said, he made some comments about how he does. He doesn't think women look good in one piece bathing suits. Um, He got into a discussion about it was supposed to be kind of an irreverent podcast. And he got into a discussion about like some uh, one of those big hacks that happened years ago where a bunch of female celebrities had their nude photos from their phones leaked online. And he oh, got yeah, into a conversation happening. with uh w- with one of his female co-hosts about, like, hey, did you ever do, like, stuff like that? It's like stupid, dumb stuff, but something you lose your job over eight years later? No. And as far as the lawsuits go, they were never even really lawsuits against him. There were two lawsuits when it came to The Price is Right – one named him as a co-defendant in a lawsuit against the show, but he was later removed from the lawsuit altogether. And then there was one where they had laid off a bunch of models off of the Price is Right. And then one of them was a model who got pregnant that after finding out she got pregnant, she later got uh, laid off the show as well, like a year later, like, Was that coincidence? Did he specifically let her go just because she got pregnant? Whatever, bad management, bad whatever. Is it something that a guy loses his job over eight years later? I don't think so. I'm going to tell you what this is all about, Rob. I believe this is completely all about that this guy, as executive producer of the show was the one who set up the search for Alex Terbeck's replacement, and he ends up getting the job himself. That's what this is about. And when I think what surprised the show and what surprised the company was the amount of backlash that got levied against them once this all came about, because this dude's name came out of nowhere. Like when all of a sudden, because right. they had, you know, they had Aaron Rodgers hosting. They had LeVar Burton co-host, all these guys who came out and talked about how this show meant everything in the world to them and a bunch of others as well. And then, oh, look at this. The guy in charge of the search for Alex Trebek's replacement they ended up picking himself. Now, of course, they will be quick to point out that, hey, you know, once Mike became a serious contender for the job, he removed himself from the deciding from the committee that would make the decision. But at that point, everybody knew it was already rigged. It was already rigged. This guy set up a search process to make sure that at the end of the day, he was going to get that job. And they got, I think they assumed or hoped that a lot of people wouldn't give big pushback on that, but it got a ton of pushback. And honestly, Rob, to me, I might be right and I might be wrong, but all this other stuff is just leverage for them to pull the trigger on trying to save face. It's like, well, they had to have him step down as a thing, and then they just got rid of him just to try to remove the problem. I I honestly think this has far less to do with some comments he made on an eight-year-old podcast and a, a, a management litigation situation at The Price is Right that happens frankly, all the time, I think it has less to do with that and more with the fact that this was just a dumb decision. I think he sealed his own fate the moment he tried to position himself to get this job and, uh, and he's out and he's out. And, and so, and I don't hear, here's the funny thing, Rob, I don't hear anybody. And it, cause I did some searching around online after this. Now I'm not a huge Jeopardy fan, but I did some searching around on some forums after I don't hear one Jeopardy fan lamenting that Mike Richards is out. I'm not hearing one of them saying like upset that he's out. It's like, oh, come on. We Jeopardy fans really wanted Mike Richards to be the new. I haven't heard one person lamenting this. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about this situation. The Jeopardy fans never wanted this guy. This guy set up a rig system to get himself hired in the job. And all this other stuff is just added fuel to the fire to give them a position to justify removing him from the office altogether. And to me, that's what this is all about. And You know what? I I hate saying this about anybody that loses their job. I really do. But this guy deserves it. He deserves losing this job. you got to be smarter than this to think I'm going to rig the system to set up so I get the job. Myself, when none of the fans want me as the host, I am nowhere near the most qualified guy to be the host. Yeah, he had hosted a couple of failed things in the past, But he does not have any sort of a successful track record of being a game show host there. Anyway, he kind of set himself up for this. And I hate saying it, but rigging a system for yourself to get the job to me is justifiable that this guy has no business being the executive producer of this show. So, yeah.
1: Don't you think, though, like you might be right about that, but I mean. I think if that's the case, he's one of the most monumentally stupid people in the entertainment business because clearly, obviously, it was so blatantly, I thought it was such a strange thing that even the network or the the owners of Jeopardy would be like, that would be like, you know, they're making a sequel to Die Hard. And I've decided as somebody working on it, I'm going to make myself the new John McClane. (laughs) You know, I'm a middle-aged white cis male and in this day and age, that's going to sell. I mean, this Mike Richards guy, I mean, if you just look at him, he looks like he's going to sell you insurance or a used car. You know, it's not like what was he think what did he think was going to happen? I'll tell
0: you what they were thinking. I think Mike Richards sold the company on the idea of two things. One, that the audience is going to love that we're keeping it in house. That that somebody in the Jeopardy family is taking it over. I think he sold them on that idea. And I think he probably also sold them, or they sold themselves on the idea that, yeah, there'll probably be a little pushback, but everybody will just be so glad. The story is Jeopardy has a new host. That's gonna be the story. And we'll keep our focus on on Alex Trebek and and honoring Alex Trebek, and this will all any pushback will all blow over. I think they sold themselves on this idea. And I think they got, I honestly think they got caught with their pants down with how much pushback they got. And yeah, you might uh, be right
1: about that. Just a stupid idea.
0: Absolutely. I do. I am mean, I'm, I'm not even a guy who follows Jeopardy all that much. And the moment I read executive producer of Jeopardy gives himself the job. I thought, well, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. This isn't going to go
1: over well. Yeah, me too. I mean, I wanted LeVar Burton to be the host. I mean, I listen, I was
0: reading through the list, and there were a lot of people who came in and hosted and did. I even heard Aaron Rodgers did a really good job doing it, but LeVar Burton I, I, people, everybody everywhere loved Lebar, LeVar Burton doing it, and then all watching
1: reading Rainbow. And
0: then they gave, the guy gave himself the job. The head of the search gave himself the job. I, I just can't believe it. Anyway, guys, question is for you. How do you feel about this? Jump on down in the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. Uh, And by the way, guys, I just want to point out that uh, our friends Lester, John, and uh, what pisses me off uh, all send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you for that, guys. Appreciate your support, dudes. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? Rob, gosh, I wonder if you have any vested interest in this. What is our second main topic today?
1: John, you know, there are certain moments of joy that Happen in life that you don't know, you don't expect, but when they happen, you realize maybe there is a higher power up there controlling our destiny. And you know, let's call it our manifest destiny. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> sorry, the world of tomorrow, the world of tomorrow says, Hey, John and crew, recently Netflix has picked up the canceled NBC series Manifest for a batch of 20 episodes in order to give this show a proper final season obviously this is not the first time netflix has done something like this but what i was wondering what's the point (laughs) what is netflix really getting out of just picking up canceled shows for one season does it really do anything for them in the long run well tomorrow it might not do anything for netflix but it does something for me (laughs) And uh, that's really all that matters. No, I'm just kidding. I think this is a very interesting situation. Manifest ran for three years. Uh, Series creator Jeff Rake says he had a six-year plan. I don't believe that for a minute. God bless you, Jeff Rake. You've made glorious gobbledygook in Manifest, and I was there for it every week. Excited to see where you were going to take me, which was clearly off a cliff, and I loved you for it. Uh, But anyway, so a lot of shows go from network, this was on NBC, to Netflix, When Manifest went to Netflix, after it was canceled, it became their top 10. It was in their top 10 and their number one show around the world. And it stayed there for a very long time. So the show was actually canceled. But people on Netflix were watching it more than most of the shows on Netflix. So Netflix, which they had actually approached and tried to get Netflix to buy the show, they initially passed. And yet, with the outpouring and the viewership, I mean, there was people watching, obviously obviously, had never seen Manifest before they were watching it on Netflix. It became a, a almost, you know, a, a no-brainer. With this many people watching Manifest, they did the same thing with another NBC show called Designated Survivor. And they brought it on. So Netflix guaranteed a 20-episode fourth season, which they'll probably either split into, like, I would imagine, seven or eight-episode blocks you know, so they'll spread it out. But Manifest obviously has the most ridiculous, long-running storyline ever. It's a very Lost-esque type show. And every, every week, they just dig the hole deeper for themselves, which I love. But the reason I think that they bought it, John, is when a show is on Netflix, it's kind of there forever. It becomes another can in their aisle of uh, canned uh, pe- pears, like at a grocery store. And those cans will be on the shelf forever. So Netflix has a show that people will be watching for years to come. And they don't really, they don't have to worry about it. They finish off that one season. So it's not a huge investment for them. And yet they have a show that people seem to love and will come back to over and over and over again. So it makes sense for them, I think, in their economics. And uh, Joe Blow says, you did it, Manifest fans. The Missing Plane series that was canceled by NBC will live on. For one final 20-episode season on Netflix, the news comes after weeks of complicated negotiations to make it happen. John, one of the reasons they're complicated is because Manifest already had foreign deals where it was playing in various territories. Right. Yeah. So Netflix will not be playing it in certain countries at first because there's other licensing deals that they have to fulfill. And they've done that before. Um to make it happen, but the news was made official this morning, and now fans of the show will get the proper closure they desired before the series was abruptly canceled. Oh, we're not going to get the proper closure because the series creators don't even know what that is. <laughs> Appropriately, the news <laughs> of the series' resurrection happened on the so-called 8-to-8 day, which is when the, <laughs> when the series about the mystery flight 8-to-8 is celebrated annually. Is it? I'm a huge Manifest fan, John, and let me tell you, on my calendar, I do not have... 8:28 marked as Manifest Day. I just want you to know. Even more awesome for all you Manifest nerds out there, the news broke at 8:28 a.m. Pacific time. Well, at least they're as tongue-in-cheek about this as I am about this show. John, have you ever watched Manifest? Do you like Manifest? Do you have Manifest Destiny in your heart? Huh. Uh, let's, let's not use that term again. Leah, um, look, I, when Manifest came out,
0: I love, I love shows or movies that start off with how the hell what the hell is going on like for instance <laughs> the, the first born identity movie right the first born movie uh, uh, the ship in the middle of the ocean finds a guy just floating there what how the hell did he get there what's going on what's this back like all this kind of stuff the premise of manifest is so great a plane takes off disappears And then how many years later was it? Seven or eight years later? Five. Five years later. Yeah. Out of nowhere, air traffic control picks up the plane coming in for the landing. It's been five years, and the people on the plane have no idea. They're like, no, we just took off, man.
1: Neither do the showrunners know.
0: Yeah, neither do the showrunners know. And to (laughs) me, this is a great opening premise for a show. It's like, I, I was hooked on the idea right away, and I immediately got off after about four episodes. I couldn't take it anymore. I just I couldn't take it. I found the show to be terrible.
1: Hmm. And, <laughs> it's and, glorious gobbledygook, John.
0: It, it is gobbledygook, yes. It just went on and on. And I, Rob, you're joking about it. But honestly, oh, for me, one of the thing was I felt like I never felt at all like the showrunners had any idea where they were taking this thing. But that's why it's great. And and maybe that's why it's great. But that's just the the feeling I had. But others like yourself really found themselves getting into the show and watching the show. And and that's great. That's awesome. So for all those people who are big Manifest fans and looking forward to Manifest coming back, that's awesome. I'm actually I'm legitimately really happy that you guys get to have another season (laughs) of it, a final season. That's great. Now, as far as why, why would Netflix pick this up? What's the point? Why why go for show? And and, and and specifically, why pick it up for only one more season? Because, Rob, you're thinking if you're going to make a new investment into something, wouldn't you want it to be an investment that's going to stretch out a bit? Wouldn't you want to get more, you know, return on your investment? So what's the point in picking up Manifest for just one season? Well, there is a point to it, actually. And for that, let's step into the Campia Classroom for a moment, shall we? Why pick up Manifest, okay? Because you asked the the question, if it's only for one season, what's the point, you know? Why would they step in and do this? Well, I'll tell you why. We all know this. The whole point of uh, Netflix's existence is to gain subscribers right we all know this that's the number one point of netflix existing they exist to gain subscribers they want to get some subs- subscribers right now if you're gonna to try to get new subscribers and by the way rob by the way i just watched two netflix movies last night yep mm. i watched two i was supposed to go out with Anne to some with some friends for dinner but my hand was really bothering me and i just thought i'm not gonna be good company so i'm just gonna stay home so i popped on two netflix movies one was called SAS, The Rise of the Black Swan, with a terrific cast, as a matter of fact. It had a really, really good cast, including Andy Serkis uh, was in it. Ruby Rose was in it, a few other people as well. And then the Jason Momoa, Sweet Girl. Um, shit! Total bags of shit! Both of these movies, absolute ridiculous Garbage! Garbage! Congratulations, everybody! This is your free, this is your future of streaming movies. Anyway, absolute insufferable, eye rolling, gut wrenching, colon emptying garbage. Anyway, so so th- so there's that, there's that, right? But Netflix, they're looking to do to gain subscribers. Uh, number one, uh, through um, uh, curated content. And number two, through uh, original material, right? They create this content. They they get curated content like uh, Seinfeld, which, by the way, Seinfeld is back on Netflix, like a hundred million dollar five year deal, something like that. So curated content, yes. But they also want to get on, uh, get these new subscribers through original material. But here's the thing: the challenge. There's a challenge through original material. The challenge of getting uh, getting subscribers, subs, through original material takes time. And it's a gamble. It's a gamble. Because, Rob, when you launch a new original series, nobody knows about it. Nobody has connection with it. Nobody understands the story yet. So you create this show in the hopes, in the hopes, and it's a gamble, but in the hopes that it catches on with the audience, that it builds up a bit of an audience, and then that word of mouth from that audience spreads out to people who are not yet subscribers of Netflix, and then hopefully then it will attract people in to subscribe to Netflix. But it is, again, a gamble. Here's the thing though, by picking up shows like Lucifer, uh, Losegiver, Lucifer, uh, Lone Survivor, and Manifest, here's what Netflix does. Lucifer, Lone Survivor, Manifest, and other shows like that, the gamble is gone. These are shows that already exist. These are shows that already, regardless of how big or how small, these are shows that already have existing fan bases. These are shows that already have people that follow it. They get rid of the gamble. The gamble's gone. So they know, Rob, if we go out and pick up Lucifer, because originally, remember, Rob, When they picked up Lucifer, they originally said it was only going to be for one more season, right? It was after it was wildly successful on Netflix that they decided to give it yet another season. But the whole idea of Netflix was to give it, or for Lucifer, was to give it one more season. What they were doing was brilliant because what they did was they ensured that everybody who is a Lucifer fan that isn't yet a Netflix subscriber was going to become a Netflix subscriber. Rob, I was already a Netflix subscriber. But if I hadn't been a Netflix subscriber when Lucifer was getting its new season on Netflix, guess what? I would have been a new subscriber. And by picking up Manifest for just one more season, they're already limiting their their risk. They're limiting how much of a financial investment they're making into it. And what they have guaranteed is everybody who watched Manifest that isn't a Netflix subscriber, guess what? They're going to become Netflix subscribers. This is the easiest, easiest money that Netflix can possibly make. Saving these canceled shows for just one more season gets them an influx, an easy influx of new subscribers. Rob, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, there's no gamble. No gamble. It is almost risk-free. So when you actually sit back and look at it, look... I had somebody say to me once, Robin. it's true, you know, John, Netflix is just using you as a Lucifer fan. That's all Netflix is doing. By saving Lucifer, all they're really doing is using you as a Netflix fan. I'm like, hey, it's a win-win. I'm cool with that. It's a win-win. So you manifest fans, when you hear that Netflix is just using you, just smile and say, yeah, but we're getting what we want. It is a win-win. They're getting what they want. We're getting what we want, happiness all around. I don't know, Rob, what do you What do you think of that? Like, the that might take on that.
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, very astute. And also, using you as... Of course they are. The idea of entertainment companies is to acquire properties that they can sell, or if they're pre-sold, so much the better. I thought your analysis of exactly why Netflix wants to pick up previously existing IPs that already have a fan base makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, they're not, again... It ain't show friends; it's show business. They're acquiring shows they think will generate viewership and subscriptions. That's it; that's their job. And you know what? Like you said, if you're a Lucifer fan, or in my case, a Manifest fan, unashamedly, unabashedly so, uh, because I, I just I can't believe where the writing staff takes us every week. Uh, I, 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 I'm a happy camper. I do that Peanuts dance, that na 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 you know, when they're all dancing together and you see Pigpen <laughs> riling up all the dust.
0: <laughs> yeah, man,
1: I was doing the Peanuts dance when Manifest uh, was renewed.
0: So, but let's let's go one step further because I see some people in, in the live chat asking, fair point, well, why not do another season of Daredevil? Like, wh- why cancel Daredevil? Well, because of this. If you understand that by saving Lucifer, Lone Survivor, manifest they are reaching out and gaining new subscribers right and it is also almost no risk all they're really putting up is the cost to produce one extra season of television that's it it's different with daredevil daredevil uh is watched by uh netflix subs daredevil had been had had three seasons rob It had three seasons. In Netflix's head, anybody who was going to sign up for Netflix to watch Daredevil would have done so already, for the most part. They would have done so already. It's been on, we ran it for three seasons, they would have signed up for it by now. On top of that, Daredevil gets more expensive to make each season. Because every year that it's on, the cast want more and more money understandably so totally fair charlie cox's salary demands go up everybody else is involved in these shows their expenses go up and at some point netflix has to decide uh when is it not a ratio uh in our favor anymore when is it not when is the ratio no longer in our favor how much money are we putting into Daredevil and are we actually getting new subscribers from Daredevil anymore? We're not getting new subscribers, really? Not, not many new subscribers on Daredevil anymore because everybody already signed up? Well, then can we justify spending the kind of money we need to spend? Or can we spend a little bit of money, save a show like Manifest and bring in more new subscribers? That Because Rob, that's the inconvenient truth here. This one new saved season of Manifest is going to add more new subscribers to Netflix than a fourth season of Daredevil would. Daredevil's obviously the superior show, but the reality is this is the business decision. And that's the world of streaming, ladies and gentlemen, and that's the world of streaming we're going to get moving forward. So I don't know, guys, question is for you. Are you a Manifest fan? Are, if you are, I'm so stoked for you guys that you're getting another season. If not, does this make you curious to check out the show? Whatever you guys are feeling, jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Tyler R., who writes... Hey, John slash crew, longtime fan since the AMC Closet Days. Well, thank you so much for that, Tyler. One of my favorite movies of 2019 was Shazam. You, me, both, brother. Ever since then, I have been eagerly waiting for the second installment. Yesterday, David F. Sandberg posted a picture of it wrapping. This movie is little less than two years away. The impatient part of me wants to know why is it they are releasing it mid-2023 when the film is already finished filming? Does it really take a year of post-production? Thanks, and have a great day. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, you guys know how big of a fan I am of Shazam. I love Shazam. That movie to me, until Suicide Squad, Shazam was my second favorite DCEU movie. My favorite, obviously, is Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. That's my favorite. That's still to this day my favorite DCEU movie. Um, probably Suicide Squad is probably now my second. But it's still, it's very, very close. to Shazam. I love that movie. I loved it more than most people did. I thought it was so unbelievably charming. I was just grinning ear to ear that entire movie. I loved it. I thought it was great. And I've been very excited about a second one. So now they had been filming it. They had ads um, obviously the immortal Helen Mirren, L- Lucy Liu, uh, both joined the cast as the antagonists in the film. That sounds great. They had been filming and they'd been shooting, but now the filming is done. It's in the can. It's in the can. As the director of the film, um, uh, got on, got onto social media and he basically announced, he said, that's a wrap now sleep. So, and look at that final shot that he did. Obviously there's some action going on in there in somebody's bedroom, something bad happens and all that kind of stuff. So it's now wrapped up and it's done. And I got to say, Rob, you know, me, the saying is the tangibilization of it. It's, it's real. Now the next Shazam movie, the fury of the gods, Shazam two, whatever you want to call it is no longer just a theory. It's tangible. They have done shooting. Now you're right. This thing is not scheduled still to come out until, I believe, June. I think it's June of 2023. So the question gets asked, well, wait a minute. Why not release this thing until June of 2023 when they're already done shooting? I mean, yeah, it's still just 2021. Yeah, they've got to take some time for post-production. That could take anywhere, and yeah, and they ask, could it really be a year of post production? Yeah, some movies can take up to a year of post production. I don't think this one will take a year of post production, but some of these movies can. These visually visual effects heavy movies can. But even then, you're just putting us into like fall of 2022, and you're still not putting the movie out for another seven months after that. Well, the reason is this, Rob, and 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 I think you'll agree with me on this, but I, I am curious to know your your thoughts on it. They don't set release dates on movies based on when the movie's going to be done shooting. The release date for a movie is a very weird science that they look at the movie they have and they put a lot of money and a lot of study and a lot of research into thinking, where can we put this movie that we think gives it its best chance for success? And that's what decides when the movie comes out. And if they had determined a long time ago, looking at the script, they think this movie will have its best shot of success in a June release date. Mm, We don't think we can have it ready for a June of 2022. Therefore, we're going to do it in 2023. So, yeah, it really has nothing to do about when the movie's done. If anything, Rob, it does open the possibility that five months from now, Warner Brothers could decide, hey, you know what? We're going to move the release date up. Why not? I mean, they could do that. But again... When they release the movie has absolutely nothing to do as to when the movie is done shooting. I don't know, Rob, how would you answer that
1: question? Well, I think it's a pretty good analysis. I mean, you know, it also remember, we're also coming off of a pandemic where where certain um, uh, schedule changes have been made. And maybe they're looking at the 2022 release slate and saying, you know what? Yep, we don't have a place to put this movie where we think it's going to do uh, the best it can. I think that Shazam was a movie that it it was a little bit of an underperformer at the box office, but I think a lot of people discovered it uh, later on on streaming, home video, that kind of thing. And I think they know that it can be a much bigger earner than the first one, and they probably know they have something pretty special. So they're waiting to put it in the proper weekend where they can stake their claim early, and it has a better chance of succeeding. That's what I would say.
0: What do you think... I mean, it does see. look, I, you can look at this from the viewpoint of, of the average fan like us. It's like, it does feel weird though, doesn't it? That here we are September 1st of 2021 and it's done shooting and it's not coming out until June of 2023. I mean, I, I get it. That does seem kind of odd. And I think you're right, Rob. I think the pandemic, cause we said for a long time, the actual effects of the pandemic, we haven't even started to feel all the effects of it that no. we are going to feel this we're going to feel the effects of this going well through 2022 because of all the shifting release dates but seeing as this thing is done and they will probably even have the post production done i'm going to guess within the next 8 months do you think there's a possibility that this thing at some point maybe they could move the date up or do you think a true heart of the summer release schedule is what's best for this movie what do you think
1: i mean maybe they might but then again you know with all of these movies that were shot and are getting finished it also has probably to do with resources there's only yeah. so many visual effects companies in the world that can do these movies and they're all very very busy doing incredible uh, work i mean remember 2022 how long has jurassic world dominion been done shooting you know we're not getting that until june of next year and it i think that the pandemic has pushed a lot of things back no one's working at 100% yet and there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's being made and I think what they're doing is they're giving themselves a comfortable enough time where they're not rushing, they finish the film, they make it the way they want to make it, and they have a good release date that other people understand that's theirs. And they're staking their claim early, and they're giving the chance, the movie, the best chance to succeed. I mean, you know what? I told you, I told you that uh, we're not going to get our Shang, Shang-Chi hot toys until 2023. So, you know, I can, I can probably get my, uh, my uh, hot toy of Tony Lung the same day that uh, Shazam <laughs> opens. What a horrible thought that is.
0: Anyway, question is for you guys. What do you think about this? First of all, are you looking forward to Shazam 2? I'm not going to lie. It, it is I am giddy. I am giddy with excitement for seeing the next Shazam film. What about you guys? Why do you think they're pushing off the release date? Or not pushing it off, but why do you think they set a release date for being so far ahead even though the film is done shooting now? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your Thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Brendan Kurtz. And Brendan Kurtz writes, Hey, John and Rob, I don't think this is really surprising at all, but I thought it was interesting that a report just came out that Venom, Let There Be Carnage, just got its official MPA rating, and it's going to be PG-13. I know some of my friends were hoping for an R rating. What do you think of this rating, and do you think it will affect the quality of the movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, it's now official. We've got a rating for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And you're right, Brendan. It's not surprising at all. It's PG-13. Of course it's PG-13. It was always going to be PG-13. There's no reality in which this wasn't going to be a PG-13 film. The first Venom was PG-13 and made, despite all the people, Rob, all the people, saying, Venom's going to flop. You can't do a Venom film without Spider-Man in it. Oh, really? Guess what? They did. And it was great fun. And it made over $800 million at the box office. And it was a huge success. And it was a PG-13 film. Now, obviously... When you bring in a character like Carnage, even I have to go, huh, I wonder if they'll go R on this. I mean, obviously the the good money bets that it's going to be PG-13 as well, but you wonder that, and then Rob, that trailer came out and that trailer, you got Carnage pinning that guy against the thing. And then, you know, ramming one of his, you know, uh, uh, spear tentacle things into the guy's mouth. And he's like sucking the guts out of him and all that kind of stuff. And then more people went, huh, I wonder if this thing could be rated R. And and that's a – I mean – when you understand bringing in carnage and seeing what we saw in the trailer, that's a fair thing to ask. It's like, maybe they will go R, but yeah, it was really no surprise today when it came out that it is indeed going to be rated PG 13. This comes to us from the folks at Joe blow who write the MPAA is actually now just the MPA is what they're called. Now has officially granted venom. Let there be carnage with a PG 13 rating, according to their weekly ratings bulletin and confirmed on Sony's official website for the movie. The film earned a PG 13 rating for, intense sequences of violence and action, some strong language, disturbing material, and suggestive references. In a similar fashion, 2018's Venom was rated for PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action and for language. While the PG-13 rating makes sense for financial purposes, since it opens the film up to to be seen by more of their target demographic, a lot of fans were hoping for a more adult-oriented r rated film and that comes to us from our friends over at joe blow look i've said this before i will say it again uh, R rating does not make your movie better it just doesn't dropping three more f-bombs and then showing boobies does not make your movie any better well maybe for juveniles like me but in general it does not make your movie any better and look the reality is Everybody forgets that you can get away with a lot of stuff in PG-13. As long as you follow some guidelines, don't show the blood. Don't show the blood. You could have carnage ripping people apart. If you don't see blood splattering everywhere, you can get a PG-13. You can get a, look, everybody likes to look back and remember fondly the original Hellboy and Hellboy 2 the Golden Army. Guess what? You know what those are rated? They are rated PG-13. You get away with a lot of stuff. So look, did Venom, Let There Be Carnage, need to be R? We've been having this argument for a long time. No, I'm sorry. It did not need an R. The original Venom didn't need an R to be delightful and entertaining and make a hell of a lot of money. Hellboy didn't need an R rating to be good. The Dark Knight didn't need an R rating to be thoroughly entertaining and and considered by some to be the greatest comic book film of all time. Venom Let There Be Carnage did not need to be rated R. I know that's an unpopular thing to say. I know the cool kids in the playground they have needed to be R. I get it. That's fine. That's the cool thing to say. But the reality is it doesn't need to be R. Now, that being said, Rob, would I complain if they came out and said Venom Let There Be Carnage would be rated R? I wouldn't complain at all. Not in the least. But did it need to be that? Nah, it'll be fine. It, it really will. We already got a taste in the trailer that they're going to be able to get away with a lot of stuff on this. So I get it. Some people were looking forward to R. I get it. Some people are going to feel a little disappointed by that. But for me, it's like, listen, the last one was PG-13. It worked. You can get away with a lot. Financially, this makes sense. I think this is going to be a good movie. So no, I do not think this getting a PG-13 as opposed to an R is going to affect the quality of the film at all. That's just my take on it. Rob, what do you think about it?
1: Well, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I, I don't think that a rating has much to do with whether the movie's good or not. I mean, I think that people are thinking, well, I wanted R-rated violence. You know, I wanted entrails spewing across the street. I don't know. But remember, it is a Venom carnage movie, and they do want kids to see it after all. They probably are pushing the boundaries. I can imagine that there's going to be some 8-year-old that sees this movie in the theater and they're going to think that this is the greatest movie they've ever seen in their lives. And if it was rated R, I don't know if that eight-year-old kid could have seen this film. So I think that they're making the right choice with this. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean, like you said, this movie looks like it's a lot of fun. And, you know, if if Carnage is is manifesting all different kinds of weapons, I mean, I'm amused by that. I don't necessarily see him, see him, he doesn't have to like carve people up and eat them like Hannibal Lecter did, you know. I mean, it still could be great. There's a lot of good movies with PG-13 ratings.
0: I I mean, most of them. But, I mean, look, to, to, to some people's to play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, yeah, look, you also have some really great, like, can we imagine Deadpool not being rated R? I mean, look, I totally believe before Deadpool ever came out, I totally believe you could have done Deadpool PG-13 and done it in such a way that it, it could have worked, but we all would have preferred it rated R because we know what they would have wanted to have done. We know what tone that movie they, we would have wanted that movie to be. And now it's impossible to imagine a non R rated, uh, Deadpool, uh, James Gunn's, uh, James Gunn's, uh, suicide squad, right? Like if you want to let a guy like James Gunn, just go bonkers then that's going to need an R rating, right? If you want James Gunn to truly just do whatever he wants to do and go bonkers, James Gunn is going to go R rated. That that's just where he's going to go, and that's so that works for that. You don't need to have that for. And by the way, you know, I remember uh, somebody pointed th- this out to me once. Um, what's what's that comic shop? Is it? It's not House of Secrets, is it? Is it House of Secrets, the one that's on uh, in Burbank? Um, yeah. it is how so Yeah. So I remember that some, Amy
1: Dallin worked at, Yeah, that
0: Amy Dallin worked at, right. I was in there this one time I was talking to one guy who worked there who watched the show and there's, they were talking and we were talking all this kind of stuff. I remember venom came out, or carnage came. Out. so, you know, carnage in the comic books had always been PG 13. I mean, really, if you look at, except for a couple of special issue stuff, if you actually look at what's in the comic books, it's actually kind of PG 13, what they do anyway. I, 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 who knows? I think it will be fine. I don't think there's anything to worry about here. So, it's all good. I mean, would I have taken an R-rated Venom 2? Absolutely. But do I have any worry about it, it being PG-13? Not in the least. Not in the least, to be honest with you. Anyway, question is for you guys. You heard about this. What do you feel about this? Maybe you feel that a, a Venom carnage would have been better served if it had been an, uh, an R-rated film. Maybe you're like me. And you're like, listen, I was a big fan of the first Venom, and that was PG-13. I think they can do a lot. It's going to be fine. However you guys feel about it, jump on down to the comment section below. And leave us your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, just go down to the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on that there. Or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show or an upcoming companion video if it is, of course, appropriate for our show. And, of course... You'll be supporting the channel at the same time. So with that down, let's get into your live questions, shall we? We're gonna to to get things started off here with James Argenta, who writes: Assuming Toby and Andrew are in No Way Home, that's a big assumption. Do you think we will get a version of the Spider-Man meme like they did in the post-credit scene of Into the Spider-Verse? Um, I don't. Re- I- honestly, I'm not quite sure what you're going for there, James. Do I think we'll get a version of the Spider-Man meme? Like they did in the post-credit scene of Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I'm not quite sure. I know what you're talking about. Like, I know there was the one thing where they had uh, Spider-Man. What was that? Spider-Man 2099 or something like that, where they were yeah. doing the pointing. I I don't think they'd be doing that one. Rob, do you have do you have any idea what he's kind of talking about? I'm not really sure.
1: Well, I, I'm not quite clear on what he's asking either. I mean, a, a, a post-credit scene. I mean, there's there's different. I have a hot toys figure of a of Spider-Man 29. Just so just, you know, uh, I, 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 again, I don't, I don't quite know what he's asking.
0: Yeah. But it, maybe, maybe it's, it's the pointing thing that tons of memes got made out of afterwards. All right. Uh, next up, we go to Nosferatu who writes, one of my favorite stories you guys tackled on AMC movie talk was the moron who brought Google glasses into a movie. Th- I remember that. Oh my God. That's going back a long ways if I remember it right. So, yeah, I remember Remember when they were going to come out, Rob, like I think Apple and Google, they were all going to come out with their glasses that you could have, would have little heads up displays in them. But they also had cameras built into them. And some guy, this was a long time ago. I'm trying to remember this right. Some guy tried to get away with wearing his Google glasses in the movie theater and they wouldn't let him do it. And then he complained, I should be allowed to wear my glasses. Like you stupid fucking moron yeah you should let me bring my camera and and point it right at the screen i remember that i have to, now i gotta go back and remember I, I gotta go back and take a look at that and see if i remember that because that one that was funny if i remember okay next up uh we've got uh, anonymous rights one of two Hey John, uh, I just got to say, I recently got a chance to watch the new Hulu series "Only Murderers in the Building," starring Selena Gomez, uh, uh, Steve Martin, and Martin Short, and I got to say, this show is so so far is a lot better than I was expecting. It's not at all about the comedy like I thought it would be. There is more to this story. I also think the main three, in this is very good. So, do you have plans to watch or give the series a chance? What are your thoughts? Oh, dude, I am absolutely going to watch this. I have, Anna and I have not had a chance to start watching yet. I don't want to watch it without her. Um, But you put, first of all, Martin short, good Canadian kid uh, from my hometown. As a matter of fact, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, he went to McMaster university right there in Hamilton as well. But you put together two thirds of the three amigos. I'll watch anything these guys do together. So I don't even need to know anything about the show, and I'm down. Rob, have you watched any of this Steve Martin Martin short series yet? No, but the trailer looked great. It to does me. look great, right?
1: I, I mean, I, I keep watching, going. I got, I, I keep forgetting, and then it's weird. It's one of those things that always pops up on Facebook, like Facebook ads, and so it, it, people know I'm interested.
0: All right, next up, uh, we go to. Uh, where are we at here? Oh yeah, we're at uh, Natasha's Lost crush writes hi amigos john you prepared me for the worst regarding black widow's villains now that i watched it i think they were kind of weak but still okay even the bad mcu flick is way better than the overall average that never ceases to amaze me cheers oh listen i agree with you on that see here's the thing i say black widow rob is a lower tier mcu show or mcu movie but that's the thing about the mcu even their lower tier stuff is better than most stuff out there. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's as bad as like Iron Man two. I think it's definitely better than Thor, the dark world, but still I have it down there on that, on that lower shelf. Um, I'm glad you liked it more than I did. I I thought the villains were just awful. I thought they were just terrible, but if you didn't think we're all that bad, that's awesome. I I celebrate that. But isn't it funny though, Rob, that you look at these, I mean, other than Iron Man two and Thor, the dark world, I, most of the other MCU movies that you'd put that down on the lower tier still end up being better than most. Why is that?
1: Well, I mean, I, I I think because maybe because there's there's got to be more thought and establishment put into these films. Yeah, probably. So the general audience needs to have a grasp of who and what the characters are, what are the situations, how do we orient them to understand where we're at and where we're going? I guess.
0: That could be. All right, next up, we got Strange's Lost Attorney who writes, by the way, am I the only one concerned about the conflict in No Way Home? Judging by the trailer seems to be a dumb, irresponsible action by Dr. Strange. He's the wisest. I hope this is a misdirection. Sounds a little dull to me. Thanks. And cheers again. Here's the thing. Everybody tries to read way too much into small out of context glimpses that trailers give you and everybody rushes to build entire movie theories around everything that's going to happen over the scope of the entire movie and what's actually happening here over quick out of context glimpses. I per and, and it very well could be that, Rob. It very well could be that. But my point on the, on this has always been the following: everything the Avengers ever do is irresponsible. <laughs> really. Everything that they do could go wrong. And Dr. Strange, he is the sorcerer supreme and he's incredibly arrogant as well. And if he feels that, yeah, I mean, look, any spell they cast could go wrong a thousand different ways, but he feels good that he can pull this off. So he does it. That wouldn't bother me in the least. I don't think that's a character. I don't at all think that's a character, um, inconsistency in the least. And by the way, we don't even really know yet what's really the context of what's happening there. We just saw a couple of brief second glimpses in a trailer. So I wouldn't worry about it. I don't know, Rob, was that something that stood out to you when you saw the Spider-Man trailer?
1: No, I mean, it's, it, I, I think that there's a reason, like you see Doctor Strange wearing a hoodie. That's a little weird. <laughs> I mean, the Sanctum Sanctorum is full of snow. I mean, there's weird stuff going on in this trailer, John. But I think uh, as they do so often, it's kind of a misdirect. And I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to, it's a trailer. We're supposed to be intrigued by what we see. Come on, John, you know, Doctor Strange really is Mephisto the whole time.
0: <laughs> it's again with mephisto Come always on, it's Mephisto. All,
1: it's always mephisto And one day it's going to be revealed that all the times mephisto wasn't revealed it really was mephisto it's going to be like they're going to go back and retcon the whole thing no it wasn't agatha all along it was mephisto it was
0: mephisto oh, by the way uh side note, He's that good uh, i saw the latest what if uh which is focused on dr strange uh that came out last night Really, really good. I think it's the best one they put out so far. Although I really loved... I really did enjoy last week's as well with uh, with Hank Pym. That that one to me was was really interesting. I love the kind of the final conclusion of it. But if you get a chance, this Doctor Strange one is really a, a different different kind of take for them. Okay, next up. Daryl Best Wadley writes, I never had a problem with Warner Brothers putting movies straight to streaming. Good for the movie industry? No. But I appreciate forgiving fans who still... Uh, Worry about COVID a choice. Uh, Giving fans who still worry about COVID a choice. Maybe I would feel differently if I owned a movie theater. But here's the thing, Daryl. And Rob, this is the part that drives me crazy about this debate, right? Everybody's acting like, oh, there's only two options. Either you put the movie in theaters or you put it out on streaming. No. There's a third option. An option that has always been there. Which is... If you don't want to go see something in a theater now, fine. You're going to get it in home viewing things in a couple of months. Now it's only 45 days. It's not like if they put it in theaters, people who are at home are never going to get a chance to see it. No, it just means you got to wait 45 days. That's it. And then you're going to get it just like everybody else. So it's not just that there's one option or the other. There is a third. A third that actually represents a win for everybody. A, a, an option that gets money made for the movies so that proper movies get made. Not this Netflix shit that I had to sit through last night. God, yeah, that shit was so bad, Rob. I just was angry that it was like wasting my time. Anyway. Because that's where the movie industry is going, by the way. That 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 experience I had last night, that's the future of streaming movies on Netflix or any, any of the rest of them. But there is an option that is a win for everybody. You know, the theaters make their money, the studios make their money, better movies get made, and then everybody still gets to watch it at home just a little bit later. I, I, I don't know, Rob. I What are your thoughts on that? Because because uh, yeah, you and I have some different opinions on that, but I'm, I'm just curious to know what yours are.
1: Well, I mean, you know, what can I say? I... It really is disheartening to hear you say that you didn't like those movies. Oh God, one of them, dude,
0: I can't, I want you to watch them. I, I now I want you to watch them, so I want to hear your opinion on them.
1: Well, I, I you know I it always bum I, I my it bums me out. Movies are so hard to make, and it's always disheartening to hear because Netflix has resources. It's not the budgets of the movie that cost them to be bad. I think. I mean, I always think it's the scripts. You know, the stories, it's, what is it? Was it Red? No, it wasn't Red Notice with Dwayne Johnson. It was S A. What was it? SAS SAS the rise of the black swan. Yeah. See, I was like looking forward to that because I look those kinds of action, adventure, thriller, international intrigue, whatever. Those are, those are things that I want to watch. And there's so many great stories out there that when you watch films, like, let me ask you a question. Why, why did you not like these movies as much as you didn't like them? I mean, with the stories, That's, just okay, not
0: good. Yeah, for first of all, let's let's start with Jason Momoa's Sweet Girl. I think we could all tell from the trailers. It looked good, though. I wanted to see it. I didn't think it looked very good, but I was like, I'll watch this. But it's Jason Momoa, so I'll give it a shot. You know, if if it's Jason Momoa, I'll give it a shot because you know I I got a big thing for Jason Momoa. I think he's great, but it's just awful. I mean, the script was bad, oh, frankly. Man. Frankly, and I've never said this about Jason Momoa in anything, not even that terrible Apple show C. Momoa wasn't very good in it. And it's so contrived. And it's so like everything about, even like there's a scene where he calls into a talk show where a big pharma guy was on it. It's like, oh God, it was just so painful. And then like SAS. Which totally looks like a movie you and I would like. And yeah. I was, and, and you know, it's got Andy Circus in it, so I'm like really down with it. But dude, I kid you not. I knew right from the opening couple of minutes this thing was going to be a train wreck. Because first of all, you have this organization called the Black Swan, right? That's like a family-run paramilitary group that carry out dirty illegal ops on behalf of the government that wants to keep their hands clean in England. And Then something happens where they go too far. So now the SAS need to bring them down, right? And who's the agent? You guessed it. The movie starts with this good-looking, clean-cut guy who's obviously a secret agent of the SAS showing up to his palace in England. Buckingham Estate, not Buckingham Palace, but his name is Agent Buckingham. And he shows up in the opening of the movie to this giant like makes Downton Abbey look like a uh, you know a porta potty. And he shows up to a state with his own personal Alfred. Say your mother and father would be so proud of you. Oh Christopher or whatever is real, oh Thomas. He'll be so proud of you. I'm just here to pick up my mother's ring or my grandmother's ring. And he's got this huge palace, and of course he is also the greatest secret agent in England. And then in the midst of all this, there's a there's a big a uh, uh, hostage situation right on this train. And in the middle of this hostage situation, where people are dying left and right, he's trying to sneak this little girl out of uh, out of the arena. He's trying to sneak this little girl out, and they're hiding on top of the train right now. And the little girl. Is that girl on the train your girlfriend? Why, why, yes, she is. She's going to be more. I'm Uh. going to ask her to marry me. Do you love her? I think I do how do you know that you love her? I'm like, there's fucking machine guns going off and people are dying. And they stop the movie in the middle to have this little existential discussion about love between rich Lord Buckingham and this little girl. How do you know you love her? And I'm like, oh my God, this is so bad. But I think, I think Rob, they look at these scripts and they go, okay, we can make that one for pretty cheap. We can get a couple of of not C-level names, so we can get a couple of B-level names in there. You know, it's a a heist movie, a Secret Agents with Buckingham Palaces and all this. And and yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the type of shite, it's the type of drivel that these streaming services are going to be the ones that they're producing from now on. They're going to be producing these pieces of shit that aren't terribly expensive to make, and they're going to crank out 30 or 40 or 50 of these a year, and then one or two a year, they'll actually put real effort so that it looks like, look, look, we're the ones who put out the Irishman. Remember that? The Irishman? That was us. Like, but And they'll so they'll do that. But in the meantime, all the rest of them is going to be this absolute garbage shite that the only thing they'll spend a little bit of money on is maybe a big name star to make it look like it has some credibility moving forward. Anyway. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm getting sidetracked, guys. I could go on this the whole, but I'm just sitting there watching both of these movies, and I'm just getting angry at how bad they are, and knowing that this is the future of movies. <laughs> this is the future of movies.
1: Well, wait a minute. I mean, look, what you're describing though is the production value was there. I would assume, right? Sometimes. Okay. Okay. Sometimes. But, uh, yeah. But I would say I would say it all comes down. I mean, this is where talented filmmakers are needed. You know, it, it comes down to direction, and it comes down to, like you know, that company Grindstone that releases. I think the Hitman's Bodyguard was a Grindstone movie, but they mm. do all those. They did that Ryan Reynolds gambling movie. Um, Grindstone releases a lot of films through Lionsgate, and they really they've got good actors, but they really live or die on the scripts and the direction. Because they have a lot of them are shot in New Orleans and they have the production value. And I really think what it's going to come down to is once again, we're going to have to see talented filmmakers arise. And we're going to have to see people that really understand filmmaking. And I think right now there's a lot of people that are getting jobs that are getting jobs that aren't necessarily qualified to make the kind of movies that we want. And that's why they're able to get jobs at Netflix. We need to see better filmmakers and better screenplays, but better it, writers and better directors. But
0: th- but that becomes irrelevant, Rob, unless these streamers greenlight those kinds of projects. And until they do, it's irrelevant. That's that's the thing. It it just be, it's an irrelevant equation. Until- well, that's what I mean. They, they
1: but they have to be better. The scripts have to be better. There's they've got to be more innovative and they've got to be more interesting. I mean, Jason Momoa going after Big Pharma—it's like even that in itself is kind of ridiculous. Like Big Pharma is what? Some secret military organization that can defend themselves against one man determined it's, to take out the executives. So I mean, that would be easy to do, I would think.
0: But you know, Rob, here's a great equivalency, okay? You know how we were talking a little bit about how does Daredevil not get a fourth season, but Manifest gets picked up? It, it's It's because it's the same principle. Yeah. The reason Manifest gets picked up and Daredevil season four doesn't is because Manifest will get them a few extra subscribers, and it's a very small financial risk. Daredevil, while it'll be much better content, that's not Netflix's concern. The fact is, a season four of Daredevil won't generate that many more new subscribers, and it's a bigger financial investment. So, they go the route of a season four of Manifest. And I don't mean that disparagingly against Manifest, but I think even the biggest Manifest fans will agree that Daredevil's the better show. It's all subjective, of course, but I think most of us would agree that Daredevil's the better show. But that whole mindset, Rob, that whole mindset also translates over to their movie-making decisions. It's like, okay, yeah, we could spend the extra money and bring on this filmmaker and do this, but it wouldn't have the same poster appeal and it's going to cost us more. And really just what we need is just more content, just to keep our subscribers happy that we're just cranking out more content as opposed to, we could spend more money with better filmmakers and better scripts that I'll have higher quality, even though it won't have as much of a return for us. That's just not their mindset. And it's not just Netflix. This is going to be Amazon. This is going to be Disney plus this is going to be all of them. And it's, it's, that's why I get a little bit concerned about that. That's why I get concerned about that. Anyway, sorry. I dragged us on that for way too long. We got to get moving on here. Uh, next up comes to us is Josh who writes one of two. Hey, John and crew. I know and respect your opinion on the DC show Titans. I did enjoy, I I did enjoy both prior seasons, but the current death in the family slash red hood storyline has been my favorite by far. I haven't had I haven't had a superhero movie or show choke me up, uh, choke, uh, choke up, like choke me up like man, um, like man of Steel's You are my son moment until last week's episode with Bruce and Jason, uh, Walters and, uh, Elian Glenn really did a fantastic job. I was wondering if either Rob or Kim have watched the current season and have, or have any thoughts of it. Yeah, I, I gave up on Titans after one season. I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, I've heard from some people that they really do like the new season. Rob, I, I haven't asked you. I don't remember. <sighs> have you watched Titans in the past? Are you still watching Titans today? Where are you on this right now?
1: <laughs> the Teen Titans, the new Teen Titans the Wolfman and Perez new Teen Titans that started in basically 1980 was one of my favorite comic books of all time, my favorite team comics. And to me, I was hoping that Titans would have been the Friday night lights of shows with that kind of humor, that kind of heart, that kind of humanity, but still deal with real issues. That's kind of what the, I mean, the comic book was a great comic book with heroes and villains, but it also had a lot of heart. And there was a great familial element. The way they went dark with the Titan show really rubbed me the wrong way. That said, I do watch it and I do get pissed off watching it, but I'm still watching it. (laughs) All right. Not watch the new season yet.
0: Okay. Uh, next up. Thanks for writing that in, Josh. Next up, we've got uh, Ben Campbell who writes in. Uh, hey, John and crew, John, I've been watching you since the AMC movie talk days, and I haven't stopped watching you, Sensei. <laughs> Thank you, man. In regards to Shang-Chi, do you think Hurricane Ida and the destruction it has caused will be a big will have a big effect at the box office this weekend? Honestly, first of all, uh, all of our thoughts, well wishes uh, go out to everybody who's been affected by by uh, the current situation down there. Absolutely. Now. Stepping back now and just looking at it from an impassionate, just black and white point of view. The reality is, it won't have that much of an effect uh, on the box office. If this were a movie market like New York, or if it were a movie market like LA, or some giant, giant market that represents a significant weekly percentage of the overall box office, maybe. But, the fact of the matter is, like, Louisiana isn't a huge movie market. It's not one of the bigger markets. So while there's some, it'll have an effect and an impact, I don't think it will have a monster impact. I don't think it'll have a big one. Rob, what do you think about that?
1: I probably not a monster impact but it is you know deadline did report that it's it's on track to, that Shang-Chi's on track to make 90 million dollars this weekend worldwide who said that oh world, oh, dead,
0: oh oh worldwide yeah worldwide yeah I,
1: on I, deadline I, this okay, morning okay
0: worldwide that's that whatever yeah i mean
1: but i mean I, and it's like apparently it's only opening in one theater or it's only opening in hong kong uh it's going to be interesting to see where this goes because here's the thing i've always believed the proof the proof is in the pudding john and I think you and I would both say to anyone who's interested or maybe mildly interested in seeing this movie, if you're on the fence, this movie is a—it's one hell of a good time it at is. movies. Yeah, I mean, it'll make you feel damn good watching it. It is so entertaining, scene to scene, moment to moment, that I—it's more entertaining than a lot of movies I've seen in the last couple of years. Man, I—I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I can't wait to see it again in IMAX.
0: Uh, by the way, our friend Todd Fayer sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Todd. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm still sticking with my 45 opening weekend number. I still think 45 is... is the. Op- I mean, again, worldwide is irrelevant. Uh, you never, never, never look at worldwide opening weekend because every movie opens in different territories and a different number of territories every week. So you're never comparing apples to apples. Um, so I still peg the domestic opening weekend at 45. I As much as I love this movie... I've said from the beginning, Rob, I think it's going to struggle uh, at the box office for all the reasons we've already gone over. But here's hoping it'll become a pleasant surprise. All right, Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Fang Blaze. And Fang Blaze writes... Hey, John, I hope uh, that we see Iron Man and Cap back in the MCU in the next three to five years like you expect them to. If they come back, how large of a role do you think they would play? Smaller side character type roles or front and center like the Infinity Saga? Um, That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that, Rob. I I mean, look, obviously I fully expect that, you know, whether it's next year, two years, three years, four years, five years from now, We are going to see Robert Downey Jr. back. We are going to see Chris Evans back. They will be back. But to what degree? That's a good question. I think maybe... uh, I, I don't think we're ever going to get back to where Captain America and Iron Man were the two front faces of the entire MCU for nearly a decade. I don't think we're going back to that. I don't think we're going back to that. I don't think they're going to be the front men of the MCU anymore. I think it'll probably be relative. I think there'll be like one movie where it's a big deal that they're back. And then maybe they'll just kind of hang out in the background a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't know. We're still probably years away from that. So I'm just guessing wildly. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? When they come back, are they the faces of the MCU again? Or to be something more supportive?
1: I think it's going to be more supportive. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I think Shang-Chi is one of the first new characters that they're introducing that I think is going to be a fan favorite. And I think just like a lot of people didn't know Iron Man in 2008 outside of comic book circles, I think Shang-Chi is going to be a favorite because it is so entertaining. I think they're going to be trying to build up new characters the same way they built up new characters from before. I mean, already they're bolstering old characters like Falcon and Winter Soldier and and, and Wanda. And now they're Shang-Chi and the Eternals are new characters so, I think they're really um, banking on new characters, which I think is smart. Uh, but, I mean, come on. I <laughs> think, I mean, even if Tony Stark shows up as a hologram in an iron suit, you know, so he's dead, but no, here's the holographic Tony Stark. I mean, hell, they killed Picard in the last season of Picard and he came back as a robot. So, why not? Well, nope. Your body, your essence has been transmuted into the body of your Iron Man armor. You're like Ultron, but you're Tony Stark. They could do that. You well, know, they can do anything. They could go get Captain America from the quantum realm. It's quantum mania. Anything can happen. That's so
0: but that's that's the thing about I mean, it's not just the MCU, but any comic book thing. I mean, you don't even need to come up with a rational explanation. You just don't. They're just there. Well, but wait a minute. Like, you know what? Here's the thing. They could even adopt a little bit of continuity. Because at the end of that one X-Men, I, which one was it? Was it X-Men? Was it X-Men 3? Was that the one that ended with um, where Phoenix kills Charles and Charles evaporates? Yeah. And then yeah. guess what? He just came back. They never explained it. Well Judge see in the post credit scene, he's in the hospital. Yeah, but they never explained it. He's just back. And so that was uh so yeah, they don't even need a rational explanation. The the blah blah time travel. What? Uh blah 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 multiverse. What? Blah 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 spell. What? I mean, they could, they could literally vomit up any excuse that they want and they can bring them back. So that eh, is Uh By the way, Ms. Marvel sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Ms. Marvel. Appreciate that. Um, all right, next up. Who was that? That was Fang Blaze. Next we go to Man of Steel Rules, uh, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Man of Steel Rules. Appreciate that, dude. Uh, who writes in, um, John and Rob, I know everyone has to go Okay, let's try this again. I know everyone has a go-to movie to make them laugh. Mine happens to be Ruthless People. That's one I haven't heard people talk about in a long (laughs) time. Danny DeVito, Judge Reinhold. Oh, Judge Reinhold. Remember when he was in like every movie? Anyway. um, And Bette Midler, such a funny movie. That is a great one. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know. Ruthless People wasn't necessarily a good one I should be watching as a kid. But when I was a kid... My parents had a couple of VHSs and one of them was Ruthless People. And another one that I would pop in a lot was Romancing the Stone. And it was all kind of around, you know, that, that era. So those are ones when I was getting I me mean, today, the one I, the ones I always go to are Zoolander, Galaxy Quest, 40 year old Virgin uh, Anchorman, Dodgeball. These are the ones I kind of go to now. But back then, Ruthless People was definitely one. I mean, it's never one of my big major ones, but Ruthless People, Romancing the Stone, that's when I was like really younger. But uh, that, Rob, do you have a go-to, feel good, kind of smile, make you laugh kind of movie that you like to go to?
1: Dude, I love Get Him to the Greek. I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but there's just something about Get Him to the Greek that I can't get enough of. But in terms of just, and I'm talking comedy, but in terms of my warm, fuzzy, overall movie that puts me in great moods, there's two, and they both start with the letter A. Almost Famous and Amelie. Nothing oh, puts wow, smiles yeah. on my face and, and warms my heart more than those two movies. Yeah, I love those ones.
0: All right. Uh, we just talked about Amelie the other day. Thanks a lot yep. for writing that in, man. It's stealing. Good job on bringing up Ruthless People. That hasn't been brought up much at all. Uh, by the way, uh, Jetfire97 sends in a Super Chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Jetfire. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, Ahmed Z writes, Hey, John, I was watching the Disney Gallery for the Mandalorian Season 2 finale. I haven't watched that yet. I totally want to. uh, And was really impressed at the effort, technology, and skill that went into making Mark Hamill look uh, younger in the finale. But I remember my first impression of the work uh, the VFX team did being really disappointing and almost like they were lazy about it. Uh, But on the contrary, they did a lot of work on it based on what I saw. Why do you think it didn't turn out as well as... uh, Thrawns, for example, in Rogue One, thanks and bring on the filthy. Um, Look, here's the thing. Everybody thinks everything they see in the movies is really easy to do. And it's not easy to do. It's an art. And yeah, I'm like you. I was not terribly impressed by how Luke looked um, in that final episode of Mandalorian. I agree. I've seen some other people remake that and have done a little bit of a better job. Sure. But it ain't easy and a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of man hours and a lot of creativity goes into getting it, making it. And look at the end of the day, it didn't take away from it, right? Like every Rob, it's not like oh, nobody talked about the finale of Mandalorian because that Luke face just didn't look quite right. <laughs> That's all anybody talked about for a week. Like all anybody talked about for a week was how amazing was that big reveal at the end of Mandalorian. That's all anybody talked about. And yes, during the discussion, we would all mention yeah, the Luke face didn't look all that great. Uh, well, whatever. It happened. They tried their best. They put a lot of effort into it. But why didn't it turn out better? Because it's really hard to make these things turn out great. And sure, I'm sure, if they, I'm sure if they were offered a second chance to go back and do it again, maybe it would look better. But at the end of the day, did it ultimately ruin the scene? It didn't. So, I mean, it was fine. I don't know, Rob, how would you address that?
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. We, especially when you're looking at something in 4K, we know that we're not really looking at young Luke Skywalker because Mark Hamill is old now. And so you talk about the uncanny valley. I mean, they hired a guy. They hired – look uh, uh, ILM hired that, that kid who did a better version of deepfake. But we act like it's really easy to do. And it's not – it's easy to do when you're using an app and an overlay at a certain resolution. But when you're trying to finish something at 4K and make it look real, it is incredibly difficult to do. And the technology just isn't quite there yet. And by the way, thank God it's not and you get that little uncanny Valley. But the thing is, John, what's so funny to me is that like, I look at the Mandalorian and I know they're shooting it on a volume stage. I know they're using stagecraft because to me, as good as the exterior shots are, I can tell from the lighting that, yeah, they're on stage. I mean, movies are all, it's all fake. Nothing is real. And, and we just have levels of dis, uh, dis, we, we have levels of belief that we're willing to buy into. like, I can't go back and watch movies like Species anymore. You know the movie with Natasha Headstrange when she turns into a creature, Species, yep. because the physical transformation effects back then they just look pasted. There's no physicality. You're not seeing flesh tearing. Or in X-Men One, when Mystique transforms, it's it you don't feel the physicality of it anymore because it's a CG effect. So as technology increases, our level of suspension of disbelief gets bigger and bigger and bigger because we expect more but it's still just tools nothing you're watching in a movie's real (laughs) everything is fake so it just depends i mean what are you willing to accept when i looked at luke returning from the mandalorian i didn't think to myself well that effect wasn't good enough i'm thinking oh my god it's luke skywalker he's come back because you know i know it's i know it's an effect so what (laughs) all right it's the story that's important Uh, Next up, we go to
0: Dangerous D who writes... Hey John, I know you think Suicide Squad's not going to get a sequel. Well, well, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Let's uh, let's be clear about what I said. Anyway, uh, but it wouldn't be the first time a sequel's made from a box office bomb. There's 2016's Ghostbusters that did not get a sequel, by the way. The 2016's Ghostbusters did not get a sequel. Let's be clear on that. Uh, 2005's X State of the Union, uh, Hocus Pocus getting a sequel. I don't think did Hocus Pocus get a sequel or a remake. Anyway, uh, Blade Runner. And uh, Donnie Darko, it could happen. See, here's the thing, Dangerous D. There's there's two things to point out. The first thing to point out is this: what I clearly said was yes uh, on the thing, but Warner Brothers is going to have a new ownership, and that's going to be under Discovery, with a very forward thinking CEO over Discovery who just makes everything work. Like everything this guy touches turns to gold. It seems like like there's a reason why something as stupid as Discovery is now like making the kind of money they're making. Like it's insane what they do. So, and I said under new ownership and under the new CEO, I've said this several times, and this is the one hope they have of doing it. they will He's going to look and say, look, the the former management of Warner Brothers blew this. They didn't market it properly. They did the stupid day and day release thing. They did all these things wrong. But now... We're going to give a sequel because the first movie was loved by the critics and the audiences. We're going to give this sequel. We're going to let them do a sequel and we're going to let them, and we're going to give them the support they deserve. We're not going to do the idiotic day and date release on HBO Max. We're going to give it a proper marketing campaign. We're going to leverage the fact that the audiences and the critics really liked it and use that to our advantage. Blah blah. blah. now, and that's the hope. And I've been saying that for a while, that that's the hope of it getting a sequel. However, let's also address this a part of movie fans logic is always going to a very rare exception as if to prove a point. 99% of box office bombs do not get sequels. And yes, you can say, but blade runner made 40 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) (laughs) The black got a sequel. See? Well, well, yeah, Tron. Tron. That's right. Tron.
1: Both from uh, Summer of '82.
0: Uh, that got a sequel. See, well, well, yes, but you are you are when you have to go and pick out extremely rare exceptions, that kind of proves the point, right? It's a very very weak. Let me let me just say this again, and I'm not saying you're weak, uh, Dangerous Dean, not at all. I'm just saying we've got to be very careful about using the exception argument because that's a very very weak position to make an argument from. Um, and I learned this in law, never use an exception argument as an argument as a part or as a main part of your argument, because it's a very, it puts you in a very, very weak position. So yeah, I would say those aren't good examples because all you're doing is really highlighting the rule. When you try to point out the exception, all you're really doing in the eyes and ears of the jury listening is emphasizing how strong of an argument the rule is as opposed to the exception. So you actually end up defeating your own argument. So can a Suicide Squad sequel get made? I just made a video about this last night. Absolutely it can, but the hope lies in it going to Discovery, the Discovery CEO having more of a vision, deciding to support the movie well, leveraging the fact that it had really positive fan and critic reviews. And yeah, that's where I think it's hope lies but don't go into the exception rules. I don't know, Rob, right now, where do you think, understanding that Warner Brothers will be under new management, where do you think the chances are that we see another Suicide Squad, or even if James Gunn even wants to do another one instead of something else?
1: Well, what's funny is we're getting a Peacemaker series. So even if we don't get Suicide Squad, we're kind of getting a sequel to James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And and that's pretty amazing. (laughs) But I, 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 I think probably Suicide Squad is pretty done. I mean, it was a very expensive proposition. Although you know what, if it has a long life on HBO Max, if people watch it over and over again, because I think it's the kind of movie that could be a cult movie, and people will discover it and just keep watching it. If, if it does really bang up numbers on HBO Max, I could see them in a year or two, maybe revisiting That And asking James Gunn if they could do something a little bit more limited, but maybe come up with something that might not be as large in scope as, say, having Starro attack and keep it more limited. I could see maybe that it could happen in some form, but it would have to do really well. Or if the Peacemaker series is a hit, we might see more of those characters continue on if they make more episodes of Peacemaker, and that would be the de facto sequel.
0: You know what the funny thing is, too? I, I think you'll agree with me on this. If they hadn't already started shooting Peacemaker prior to Suicide Squad coming out, I don't think yep. there's any way the show gets made. I think they would have yep. pulled the plug on the
1: show. It's. Uh, <laughs> you agree? I agree. So, I totally agree. So
0: I think we all got lucky that they moved forward on the show before the movie ever came out. And here's hoping it finds great success. All right. Uh, next up. We've got my comic tease. Uh, schmedium writes, "Hey John and team, John, I know you're a bit of a sports fan, so I was thinking, if you're going to field an MCU character starting five to take on the new Look Lakers, who would be on your team by position? I I don't do these types of questions, just so you know. I'm not I'm not going to sit there and pull out names and list. Uh, no, look, a- any any five MCUs." MCU characters would be able to beat uh, any 5 NBAers because they simply murder them. They just kill them. It's hard to score. I don't know if you know this, Rob. A little bit of sports insight for you. Uh-oh. As somebody, I played basketball through high school. I played on our, our provincial all-star team. little, did you know? But-
1: is um, this between the dance crew?
0: Uh, this is around the dance crew era, actually.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, but you're uh, really a renaissance man, dude.
0: It, it uh, not a lot of people. And if you watch, if you watch today's NBA, if you, if you watch close, you'll notice this. Here's the thing about scoring: it becomes very difficult to score when you're dead. I don't know if you know this. So all the MCU characters would have to do is step on the floor, straight up murder the five NBA players. And then that's it. They, they'll Because it's very, very difficult to score points, Rob. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's very difficult to score points when your throat's been cut by, you know, the knives of an MCU character or the, you know, <laughs> a, a sonic blast from an MCU. It's very, very difficult to score. Very difficult to score. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Daniel writes, one of two. You have said this before, but it's really apparent that studios are overspending on movies. True, Uh, not all the time, but yeah, there are many cases where they overspend. Black Widow cost around 200 million. John Wick 3 cost 75 million, and I'd say they are both aiming for the same target. Both are about uh, non superpowered, uh, non superpowered fighters. Given this, do big studios overpay their actors or, well, yes, studios do overpay actors um, or overpay in general. Can studios like Disney make movies for $100 million or less? And if they did, what do you think will change? Well, here's the thing, Barker, or Daniel, I should say. John Wick doesn't take place in the MCU. Right now. What? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a shock to hear. But. In the world of the MCU, the audience comes with certain expectations about the types of things you can see in that world. And those are simply things you're not going to see in the world of John Wick. All you need in John Wick is a set and a guy and a gun. I mean, I mean, ultimately, that's really all you need and have some wicked choreography. In an in MCU world, though, you... You have to do more than that. And you're they going to do things, you're going to be required to do things that are going to have higher price tags than a movie like John Wick. That said, did a movie like Black Widow need to be around the $200 million mark? No. Certainly, certainly way north of the $75 million that, uh, that they do with the John Wick films. But you can't do a Doctor Strange film. You can't do a Doctor Strange film, Rob that lives up to the expectations of what the audiences expect when they go into a Doctor Strange movie, you cannot make that movie for $75 million. You just just can't. You can't make Infinity War for $110 million. You can't make Endgame for $145 million. There are just certain things when you get into a comic book world or or like high concept or uh, high concept, but high level visual effect kind of realm, fantasy, sci-fi, action sort of things that you can't do with John wick motorcycles and swords. Awesome. And I eat it up, but there are different expectations for different things. So does Hollywood overpay? Yes. Do they overpay to the amount that you could make an MC, like a proper MCU movie for $75 million I, who am always complaining about how much money Hollywood spend, will tell you, no, you can't do a proper MCU movie for $75 million. You just can't. So overpay, yes, but is it that drastic? No. Rob, how would you address that?
1: Well, I mean, look, the problem is now uh, movies are very labor intensive to make. And a lot of these movies that we love, like Doctor Strange films, I mean, the first Doctor Strange film had some incredible visuals in it. But it, it look at the look at the amount of personnel and people at all the various effects companies that yeah. are working on films.
0: Hundreds and it, hundreds and hundreds.
1: Hundreds and it's very labor intensive. And these kinds of effects that audiences demand, they take a long time to do. They take a lot, a lot, a great many people to do them. So if we expect to get the kind of spectacle from, I mean, if you want to have Thanos throwing moons at people. Uh, you've got, I mean, even the animation in Thanos, it's incredible. You know, you don't just press a button. You know, you have many different people. I mean, that's why animation, I mean, there's people that only do shadows and shading. Uh, it's it's incredible the amount of, of technology and the amount of personnel and great artistry that these movies require. And it, the, I find that, I mean, maybe one day we'll have AI that'll be able to step in and do all of this. Um although I'm not convinced that that will make movies better, but it's just right now, the kind of things that we expect that we know and love and we want out of our movies are inherently expensive. So there's really nothing they can do.
0: And and here's the other thing too. This is because I, I always get into arguments with, with fellow film fans when it comes to actor salaries, like whenever they're saying like, Oh, they're not going to bring back certain. And and, and it seems like us film fans, our first reaction is pay, pay them, pay them, pay the actor, pay the actor. Mm. And it's like, Okay, but you do know, of course, that that actor who's going to get $25 million for this movie, they're getting $25 million for maybe working four months on this movie. Meanwhile, yeah. there's a compositor. There's a, like, there's a guy at a visual effects company, compositor, who's going to be working 18-hour days for a year and is probably making $85,000 who's working 18 hours a day for a year straight losing time with his family and all that kind of stuff making $85,000. And then by the way, that visual effects company can win Oscars and then go out of business the next day. So it's not just about the amount of money being paid into making these movies. It's also about how is that money balanced out across the board where you got one actor who didn't write the lines, who isn't doing the visual effects, who didn't write the story is going to get $25 million for four months of their time. Meanwhile, you've got these rooms filled with these lifelong trained artists who are going to work 18, 19, 20 hour days for a year straight working against impossible deadlines and incredibly tense situations. And they'll make anywhere from 85 to $185,000. I mean, so yeah, I'm going to continue to complain about how much money actors make. I think they should make a lot of money, but I'm sorry, unless the words, unless the letters DR period are in front of your name and you take motorcycle accident victims and turn them from being paraplegic for their whole lives and let them walk again, you shouldn't make $25 million a year. I'm sorry. I, I just an actor or $25 million for four months of work. But anyway, that's. That's just kind of my take on that. It is what it is. By the way, uh, Lindro Urea sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you for that, man. As does Rory Goodrich. Rory Goodrich also sends a super chat badge. Thank you for that, dude. Appreciate that. Anyway, Rob, uh, we've kept you over time time right now. So thanks a lot for being here today. You'll, of course, be back again on Friday. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your goodness online, Rob? (laughs)
1: Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or R.M. Burnett. And you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And, of course, this weekend, John, a movie I produced and edited, Tango Shalom, is opening in L.A. and New York. Please go support your boy, R.M.B., and independent cinema.
0: All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. And we'll talk to you again later, man. Have a good one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And guys, if you do live anywhere near where a screening of Tango Shalom is happening, do get out and see Tango Shalom. Rob's been pour- pouring his heart, energy, and soul into this movie for years now. So uh, go and support it when you guys get a chance. All right, we got time for a couple more questions here, guys. We're going to take this one from Gabe Barker or Baker, who writes... Is Tom Holland's deal for his last uh, movie only if Marvel wants it or is it guaranteed? It's never guaranteed. Uh, what could it be if it, uh, is Doc Strange 2 confirmed uh, the Marvels? I heard it's supposed to be uh, a mini Avengers film like Civil War, but I don't know if that's true. Avengers 5. OK, so the basic heart of it is this. And we got to bring this up so on a while because people keep confusing this. Whenever you hear that an actor has signed like a five film deal, right? say a five film deal. Let's say uh, we found out Sebastian Stan has a nine film deal and there's still like five movies left on the deal. Well, that means they're going to do five more movies with Sebastian Stan because he has a five more film deal. That's not how it works. How these movies work and how these deals work is this. Let's say I join up with the MCU. Kevin Feige realizes, Oh my God, it's obvious Who should be the new Cyclops? John Campia should be our new Cyclops. Okay, in the MCU. So, Kevin Feige comes to me. John Campia is going to be the new Cyclops. And they sign me to a five-film deal. All right? Five-film deal. And then we do the first movie. And Kevin Feige and everybody else at Disney realizes that I suck. All right? So, they're one film in. And they realize that I absolutely suck. I cannot act to save my life. And they're like, oh, damn, we made a mistake. Well, is Disney forced to use me for four more films? Because I've got a five film deal. Nope, that's not how it works. What a five film deal for me means that I must come back and appear as Cyclops for five films if Disney wants me to. But Disney is not under any obligation to use me. They can swap me out tomorrow. Now we saw that with why do I keep forgetting the name of the actor who played Rhodey first? Who who played Rhodey in the first Iron Man? Uh, I keep I keep freezing on his name. He's he's in. Um, um, what was the name of the, the TV show he was just in? Was it uh, King? I can't remember the name of the TV show he was in either. Who was it? Terrence Howard. Thank you. Charles Esther was the first guy to get Terrence Howard in there. Fair Evans also wrote it. Uh, Junior Fabrizio, John AM, uh, Dragon 10, uh, all sending in the name. Thank you, guys. Yes, Terrence Howard. So Terrence Howard had a multi-film deal to play Rhodey in the MCU. But for all the drama that went on, Disney decided they wanted Don Cheadle to play roadie from now on, but he had a three film deal. It doesn't matter. So all these deals mean is that if the studio wants you to come back to play this role, you are obligated to do it for X number of movies. However, the studio is not obligated to bring you back if they don't want to. So whenever you hear about an actor has a seven film deal, a five film deal, a 12 film deal, that does not automatically mean you're going to see them in that many films. The studio may decide to change actors. The studio may decide not to do those movies they were going to do before. So, yeah. So that's the basic. It's an important thing to understand. And uh, so keep that. in. So, no, Disney does not have to or Sony doesn't have to use Tom Holland in another film if they don't want to. But obviously, they're going to want to. So there's that. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, we have that was Gabe. Next up is Ben Platt's nurse <laughs> who writes. Hey, John, I'm a fan. Uh, I hear you might go to see the premiere of Ben's movie, Dear Evan Hansen. If you see him at the premiere, be sure to talk to him early. I can't uh, keep him out too late. He's old and needs to get to bed early. And of course, we're talking. Ben Platt is the performer who's-, who's the star of Dear Evan Hansen. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. And Aaron and I had some very heated debates uh, while we were at CinemaCon over whether or not he looks too old for the role. I think he just looks too old for the role. Uh, I mean, he's all, he's not that old. I mean, I believe he's 28 or 29. It's, it's not that he's too old for the role. It's just that, to me, he looks too old for the role. You know what I mean? So, anyway, but we had a lot of uh, arguments uh, about that. It was very, very heated discussions over that. All right, Gabe Barker... Um, writes, uh, uh, Gabe Barker again, writes, however, unnecessary. What if Chris Evans came back for a limited series about him returning the stones? That's been brought up, up at least five dozen times. A lot of people have brought that up. Uh, not sure how many episodes to do. How well would this be received? Chances this actually gets made is cap a character that would be devalued by Disney plus. Yes. Chris Evans captain America would be devalued by just slapping him in Disney plus. I I, I personally think, but Listen, as much as Captain America, the true Captain America, Steve Rogers, not not Bucky, not Sam, although I did like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I did, I, I did like it, but Bucky, you can give Bucky the shield and he can carry the name Captain America, but he's not really Captain America. You can give Sam the shield and give him the title Captain America, but he's not really Captain America. Steve Rogers is Captain America is Steve Rogers is Captain America is Steve Rogers is Captain America. That that's what it is to me. But as a guy who Chris Evans is Captain America, Steve Rogers is my favorite MCU character, not my favorite comic book character, but, Steve Rogers, Captain America is my favorite MCU character. I have zero interest in a Disney Plus show about Steve returning the stones. Zero. None. What's the point? We know what happens. Not only do we know what happens, we know what happens every step of the way. Because we know if the stones don't get returned, reality unfurls, right? So a reality didn't unfurl. So that means Steve successfully returns the first stone and then he goes on a mission to return the second stone and we know that succeeds. And then he goes on a mission to return the third stone and we know that succeeds. And then he goes on a mission to return the fourth stone and we know that succeeds. Like if you look at something like Titanic, we could say that, well, we know that the ship sinks at the end. Yes, but we don't know going in to watch James Cameron's Titanic. We don't know what's going to happen between the first frame and the last frame. Like we know it ends up sinking. But we don't know the story you're going to tell in between. With Captain America returning the stones, we literally already know the outcome of every step of the way. Well, now he's got to go on an adventure to return the fifth stone. Well, we know he succeeds. Now he's going to go on an adventure to return the sixth stone. Well, we know that he succeeds. Then the next episode, he faces the tough decision. Do I return back to my time or do I stay here with with, uh, Carter? Well, we already know what he decides to do. And then in the next episode, oh, the Hydra of that era find him and they're going to kill him. Does he survive? Well, we know he survives because we see old man Steve Learat. So it's it's like, it's one of those propositions where not only do we know the outcome, we know the outcome of every single episode already. So for that reason, I have absolutely zero interest, zero interest in a Disney plus show or movie. About Captain America returning the stones at the end of Endgame, it it just to me it's it's pointless. It, it there's no purpose for it. So that's just my thing as a Captain America fan. That's my take on it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we've got uh, that was Gabe Barker again. Jonathan writes, uh, Campia brought to you by Zevia. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches, Zevia. We are about to to till you. We were about to till you called us sons of bitches. Maybe be nicer, Jod. No, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to be nicer to these insufferably cheap sons of bitches at Zevia. Zevia Cola. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. More cases of Zevia. More people know about the existence of this cola because of me than anything else these insufferably cheap sons of bitches have ever done with their marketing money. Me. I have more people writing to me. I've never even heard of Zevia. Now I'm drinking it because of you. So listen up, you assholes at Zevia. As I promote your product. <laughs> listen up, you sons of bitches. Sponsor this show. But John, why do they need to sponsor you when you still mention them for every day for free? Okay, yeah, you got me there. That's uh that that's uh that's a very good point. Why on earth would you buy the cow when you get the milk for free? Uh, That's kind of the situation with me. Zevia Cola, sponsor me, you insufferably cheap sons of bitches. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Where are we at? Um, Next, where are we? Next up, we are at Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John, I pose this question to you. Is the DCEU cursed? No. Uh, wonder woman 84 failed. Uh, the, uh, the suicide squad failed justice league didn't perform as expected. I see Marvel movies, no matter the controversy still performs better than DC. Do we need a divine intervention? Uh, divine. I mean, Spielberg. Well, I mean, listen, if you cherry pick out certain projects, you can make anything look like anything. Like I noticed you didn't mention that Aquaman made a billion dollars at the box office. I noticed you didn't mention the unbelievable success of the first Wonder Woman movie. It's it's not DCEU, but it's still DC. I noticed you didn't mention that Joker was a billion-dollar film at the box office. Oh, and by the way, got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards and won Best Actor at the Academy Awards for Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, so yeah, you can cherry-pick these things out. But listen, you make movies, some will be good, some won't be good. Wonder Woman eighty. I love the first Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman eighty four was not good. Well, okay. Suicide Squad was great, but you know it's in a pandemic. Warner Brothers stabbed it in the back by putting it on HBO Max at the same time. It had a lot, it was rated R with no recognizable you know stars. I mean, it just had a lot of things working against it. But they made a great movie. That's all you can ask them to do: make a great movie. So no, I don't think the DCU is cursed. What I do believe, and they're not gonna do this, and that's fine. What I if I was suddenly in charge, like if the CEO of Discovery got a hold of me and said, Campia, we're gonna put you in charge of the DCU from now on, what are we gonna do? What I would say is we're wiping it all off the board. And we're gonna start from scratch. We're gonna reboot this whole thing in three years. We're just gonna reboot it. Reboot the DCU, get rid of all the baggage. Get rid of all the the negativity that's already attached to it and just start fresh. But that's not what they're doing. And that's okay because they can still succeed. I think they're doing some good things. They got some really good looking projects on the go right now. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, Let's see. What's next? That was Dangerous D. Next up, we got Willow who writes, To answer your question regarding Mandarin versus Cantonese. Good, because I need an answer to this. I'm a Mandarin speaker, and I cannot understand any Cantonese. It sucks because most Chinese people in Vancouver speak Cantonese. And I'll frequently have elderly people come up to me uh, and talk to me in Cantonese. And I can't understand a word they say. However, uh, my friends who speak both dialects say they're actually quite similar. I do also speak uh, Shanghainese. I'm assuming that's something spoken in Shanghai. And while my friends can't understand me, I notice the similarity to Mandarin. Yeah, see, that has come up um that has come up a lot because people were somebody asked me whether the Chinese that they're speaking in Shang-Chi is Mandarin or Cantonese to which I have no idea and I said on the show the other day I don't even know like because people will tell you that the French spoken in France is different from the French spoken in Quebec right in in French Canada but if somebody from Quebec and somebody from Paris were speaking, they would be able to understand each other. So I was asking like between people who speak Mandarin and speak people who speak Cantonese, can they still understand each other? And apparently Willow was saying, no, they are significantly different. So this is stuff I never even knew before. I never knew this stuff before. I'm getting an education in all this, uh, as we, uh, as we go forward and move along. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, where I can't give me Okay. Uh, God writes, if Spider-Man isn't in the future Avengers titles, then I'll have to insist that Batman isn't in future justice league titles. Sorry. It's only fair. My decision is vital. Stay, stay filthy geo. My favorite son. Well, I mean, I don't think there's an equivalent to that because of course, um, Spider-Man is not a part of the Avengers in the, I mean, we got through the first couple of Avengers movies without Spider-Man even being in the universe. I don't know how you do justice league without Batman. Right. I just don't know how you do justice league without Batman. That would be, that would be an interesting trick to pull. Um, but yeah, anyway, there's that. Okay. Last question of the day, guys comes to us from John Lee, who wrote, Uh, I know Rob has probably seen this already, but did you guys see that the Hot Toys has pre-orders for Wenwu and Shang-Chi figures? Yep, I saw Wenwu is, by the way, Shang-Chi's father in in Shang-Chi. Everyone, please support Shang-Chi this weekend if you can. I saw it early, and it was great. I definitely recommend seeing it in IMAX. Yeah, listen, I don't know if you guys saw these things. Let me see if I can bring this up. Uh, Shang-Chi Hot Toys. Let me see if I can find these. Uh, I'll bring them up if I can. So, they just released the look of the uh, Shang-Chi Hot Toys. And they look amazing. They look really, really good. Uh, Let's see if I can find a couple more of them. This is a good one, too. If I can get it, yeah. Look at the face sculpt on these things. My God. But here's the thing. This is one of the things that stops me from buying new hot toys, all right? Number one, they're just really expensive. Like, I can buy a Pop for 10 bucks. A hot toy is going to run me about 300 So that's why I really don't buy many hot toys. But the other thing that stops me from buying more hot toys is this. If these were available right now, if, if these figures were available right freaking now, that I could jump online, order these figures, and I would have them in a week or a couple of days. That's a fantastic face sculpt. I would buy the hell out of these right now. But you have to order them today to get them in 2023. I'm not kidding. Rob Rob was telling me about this. He put in his pre-order, but you don't get them until 2023. That is what saves me my bank account. I because I remember I was at Comic-Con and they had the hot toy for the end game Captain America as well as the end game Thor. And I'm like, I'm going to buy these MFers right now. I'm going to buy these right now. They were gorgeous and beautiful and it was going to cost me like 650 bucks to buy the pair, but I, I hadn't spent any money at Comic Con that that year. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna buy these things. These things are gorgeous. So I go up to the guy at the desk. And I'm like, I want these two. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, well, you don't actually buy them from us. You can put in the order and you'll get them in like 18 months. I'm like, get them in 18 months. You son of a bitch. We live in an instant gratification world. And if I can't get my instant gratification, I lose interest. And so sure enough, I lost interest. And again, so I'm telling you, if I could hop online right now and buy these, damn, it still hurts to stick up my thumb and buy these right now. And I know I would get them in a few days. I would probably go broke, but knowing that I'm not going to get them for at least a year and a half, it makes me not order this stuff. And that's what saves me. That's one of the reasons why I do not have more hot toys is because you don't get them when you when you order them. You have to wait a year or two years. And for all I know, in a year or two years, I wouldn't even want them. I probably still want these ones. But yeah, that's one of the things that keeps me from buying more hot toys. Number one is the cost. But number two is the fact that you don't actually get them for at least a year once you order them. And I'm like, well, again, I'm too much of an inst- Maybe Maybe that's my problem that's my problem but it is still the problem i i need the instant gratification that i buy it and i'm going to get it hell i don't even buy things on amazon anymore unless it's a, unless it's uh, going to give me prime delivery it's like 2 weeks for delivery puh and i and i i remove it out of my cart i don't even that's how impatient i am i don't even order anything off amazon unless it has prime delivery guaranteed within 2 day delivery that's how impatient I am to get my instant gratification fixed. But anyway, yeah, yeah, there's that. Anyway, guys, uh, there are still more questions to come from folks like uh, John Lee, or what we just did John Lee, yeah, uh, Sam Fisher, Alan, uh, Panos, uh, Super Saiyan, and others. Do not worry, guys. Going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and we will get all cut up on the remaining questions. But for now, that'll do it. For this installment of the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Big thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live comments and questions and super chats. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for your support. In the meantime, guys... Make sure to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.